This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to the first ever episode 66 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the Southern California hospitality industry from right here in Orange County to everywhere else and beyond each and every episode. I'm your host, Crawford McCarthy, founder of The Best Seats. Thank you, as always, to my friend, Allie Coyle, who provides music for the show. You can find her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com and go back a couple of episodes and you can check her out on this very show. As a reminder, if you do enjoy this, please be sure to leave a rating and or a review wherever you are listening to it or share it with some friends. It helps other folks discover it as well. You can go to thebestseats.com for more content just like this. And do not forget that if you subscribe over at patreon.com forward slash the best seats at any of the monthly amounts, you can get early ad free listening access as well as tons of other perks, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more at patreon.com forward slash the best seats. Thank you for those of you that do advertise there. Thank you for those of that support there. Ooh, dog in the background. Um, this is a fun episode. I'm very much looking forward to this because basically this was not an episode, not that many of them are where it felt like work. This was an episode getting down to chat with like-minded individuals about like-minded things, specifically booze. And that is because my guests for this episode of this podcast, while we talk about their podcast, is Ryan Friesen and Dylan Armenthal. Now, Ryan is the distiller up at Blinking Owl in Santa Ana. For those of you that live locally, they really make beautiful, beautiful products, and you are probably familiar with it. Dylan is a historian, entrepreneur, and basically all-around enthusiast for everything kind of liquidly, liquid libation related, if you want to go that way. Uh, they run a podcast called Distilling California, okay? And what Distilled California is, is basically history, it is talking about everything that liquor has to do in the state. So when you go and you look up Distilled California, you are going to hear two very, very well-educated people talk about the history of spirits here, a podcast from grain to glass. It is talking about everything in the California spirits industry, the history of it, the myths, the legends, and so on. And if you're not familiar with it, it's a lot deeper of a topic than you may realize. So sitting down with these guys to talk about their show, talk about their backgrounds, kind of what brought them into it, as well as branching off into some other topics like celebrity tequila, the history of spirits in California, um, things that I didn't even know until we sat down. It was really, really, really fun. It's always fun when you get other podcast hosts on your podcast. It's, it's kind of podcast inception, but it makes for a really interesting talk. And I'm really happy to share with my audience what they're bringing to their audience. And hopefully you will go and check it out immediately because Distilled California is something that I think is incredibly important. Um, this podcast touches on kind of all aspects of day-to-day -day hospitality, but as somebody who really loves spirits, being able to dig into the history of it and all the different things that go with that, the good and the bad, the ugly, the pretty, all of it is really, really important. Um, California is a massive state with a lot of history, some of it before the U.S., some of it during, et cetera. And there's a lot of history when it comes to liquor here. And I know that that may be surprising to some people. It was even surprising to me. 
but there's a lot more going on here than wine. So I don't want to take up too much more time. Uh, Dylan and Ryan have tons to talk about, whether it's the podcast or any of the other topics that we get into. So without further ado, let's jump into episode 66 of the Best Seats podcast, featuring the team behind the Distilled California podcast, Ryan Friesen and Dylan Armenthal. Enjoy. I was going to say it was a beautiful day, but a little overcast day up here at Blinking Out in Santa Ana. Thank you guys so much for hosting and thank you guys both for taking the time. I'm very excited to sit down and talk about what you both do, your show, and kind of everything that you're trying to do. But before we jump into the rest of the episode proper, would you guys both mind taking a moment to introduce yourselves and give a little bit of your background and kind of how you came to be here today? Oh, sure. Uh, I'm Dylan. And I'm Ryan. <laughs> that sounds like the beginning of our podcast. Yeah, pretty much. We're cheating. Um I, uh, it's, I'm the co-host of Distilled California, a podcast about the California spirits industry. Uh, we encompass everything from grand glass to water regulation, uh, farming, uh, distillers and history, uh, history, and history mysteries, lore, all the, all the good stuff statewide and the politics, which is not the fun stuff, but that's your job. <laughs> uh, it's fun for the right person. Yeah. I'm the other side of that uh, co-hosting gig, and I'm my I moonlight as the, the head distiller at the Blinking Owl Distillery, where we are today at, in the on the patio, sitting out here. Actually, kind of chilly. It's a little weird. It got cool finally. Yeah, it's like the actual first day of fall. I mean, mm-hmm. we're recording this, you know, what October something, so about ten days into October, give or take, and yeah, it actually feels like fall, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to jump into one question first before we talk about the podcast because I've always been interested as a person who hosts a podcast, yeah. what's it like being on the other side of the microphone? Oh, I mean, oh, like right we're now. still learning. <laughs> oh, right I mean, now or when we're... when Right, we're, right now, kind of going right from now. one show to this show. This is more normal yeah, for me. Yeah, this seems way more natural. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. when we started doing when we started doing that podcast, it only took us four or five lost episodes and uh, then and then yeah. and then more trials and tribulations and yeah. figuring everything out and then trying to come up with the, our rhythm and what works for us and and when we have we've just started having guests on our show as well and so that's that's been new but uh, it's actually way easier on this side yeah yeah a lot a lot of growing pains in the beginning we went from shooting in a basement to shooting in my house where i built a bar and a, and a small set uh, it, it's been a lot of growing pains, a lot of learning, a lot of learning. Yeah. We should mention for people that don't know the show, you guys do a video format, something yeah. that this podcast does not do. This is audio only, but you guys go full on video recording on camera. I mean, that's, that's a whole nother level of bravery, especially when you're introducing <laughs> spirits and, and, and ABVs and whatnot. How did yeah. the show come to be? How did the kind of the relationship between you guys start? And then where did the, how did this brainchild come to be? I came here as a customer 2017. And um, 2017, I, you weren't here in 2016 when we first nah, opened. Nah, I came back in November of no, oh. actually, November of 17 is when I came for the first time. Really? Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I was just, you know, some little kid sitting over the bar, you know, trying to pretend to be cool. And uh, I was working for the city as city historian at that time, and I was working for a private collector, and I was always interested in the alcohol history of Orange County. And uh, that's I, I can thank this place for being. I guess the uh, my mom, in a way, uh, for giving me that uh, inspiration to just jump in because of the research I did. It got me multiple jobs, opportunities. You were looking into the history of distilleries in Orange County, yeah. right? Yes. Because we make the claim 
we make the claim anyways that we were the first distillery to open and operate here in Orange County. We believe yeah. that that's true. And Dylan helped us confirm yes. that essentially through mm-hmm. the history room and yeah. and his research. Yeah. yeah. Blinking Owl, um, uh, you guys make amazing spirits. I, I've been a big fan of what you guys do. I, I think like most people, I kind of fell in love with the Aquavie first and then mm. everything else you guys have made since has been nothing less than fantastic. And like you said, sitting on the patio here, you guys have recently introduced a food program, which obviously having to go through all the trials and tribulations that you guys did. Um, from your standpoint, how did you get into what you do now? What brought you into distilling and, and kind of how did your side of the relationship come to be? Sure. Well, it, it was a long path before Dylan and I ever met, but uh, the, the quick version of that is home brewer. Uh, didn't have a job, so just was making beer at my mo- in my mom's house and then at my apartment. Um, kit style, you know, not even all grain or anything like that. And then um, was looking for jobs and got a job um, on the bottling line at Journeyman Distillery, which is a distillery in Three Oaks, Michigan, mm-hmm. uh, outside of the Chicago land, greater Chicago land area. Um, super awesome program and, and place to learn how to make booze. Yeah, great products. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and uh, I was number three guy on the totem pole there. Um, uh, on the story pole, I guess. Totem, totem, I'm not supposed to say totem pole anymore. Did you know that? Is that another thing? That's, yep, that's okay. a thing. That's a thing. Melissa, my partner, taught, taught me yeah. that. Um, and uh, the uh, started working there on the bottling line, which ironically now eight years, eight and a half years later, I spent two days on the bottling line here. So that, that never goes away. Yeah. Um, but uh, got to do every piece of the process from start to finish with them, um, you know, from the line all the way up through uh, learning about, you know, uh, what you have to do to turn raw materials like grain into alcohol and then how to package it safely and get it out to people. Um, and, and so that's how I sort of, um, started working on my chops as a distiller. And then Melissa and I decided we were ready for something new. And so we took a, a, a chance and moved out here to Southern California and Brian Robin, the owner here at Blinking Al took a chance on me and uh, so far, so good. We're hanging in there, but uh, we made the move out here seven years ago, and um, all, yeah, almost exactly seven years ago this this month. And um, um, then we, you know, we built this facility out over the course of about two years, and and um, then opened up and made our first product, which we thought we think was the first thing that was distilled from grain here in Orange County, and maybe ever from grain, yeah, um, from grapes, yeah. brandy, things like that have been mm-hmm. distilled here for a long time, yeah. Um, but from grain, which is, you know, we're a grain distillery. We do work with malt as well, but we're a grain-based distillery. And um, so really proud to represent the brand and the community, Orange County, Santa Ana in particular. We love the water here. We love the community here. Um, so it's been kind of a, a crazy, wild seven years. Santa Ana is a place that has a lot of history. Yeah. And, and that's putting it very, very, very lightly. Yeah. Um, Blinking Owl, especially being the first Orange County distillery, it's a lot of firsts up here. Um, obviously, this is fun because I want to talk about the podcast and I want to support both of you and, and promote what you do. But at the same time, I don't want to take away from your show in an aspect. So I want to try to explain this and, and frame these questions in a way that people are still going to come listening. You guys do touch on a lot of history, kind of the, and you can't touch on history without talking about politics. What is it about Santa Ana that? there's so much here. Can you guys just elaborate on the city itself a little bit and kind of the history of spirits in this area and just kind of how Santa Ana has played a role in coming what it is today? So Santa Ana is uh, the county seat. Uh, It's been that way since 1889, uh, much to the chagrin of other cities in the county. And um, it's always, there's been a major 
a connection with the temperance movement here in the city since the beginning. That's why we have uh, Francis C. Willard Intermediate School. Um, for those that drink few spirits, same name, few, Francis C. Willard. Um, in 1900, there was a general election vote for the entire county to go dry. And in the talks that Ryan and I give at Bowers or in other uh, organizations, I make a drinking game out of the uh, voting results. Uh, uh, precincts that no longer exist, um, to, to learn that the fourth precinct of of Santa Ana was actually 4th Street, and that's the only part of Santa Ana that voted against going dry. Everyone else? Yeah, no, we can forgo alcohol. <laughs> and then, of course, Anaheim was like, what, like 176 against and 42 for? You can't take liquor or alcohol away from Germans. It's culturally a thing. You can't do it. Yeah, no, good luck. And, um, and Anaheim was, yeah. as we talk about in one of our talks, is a was a massive wine producer in the state before anybody else was doing wine yeah. in the state. Yep. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Right here in Orange County, this was where most of the wine in the state was made prior to... Napa, Sonoma, before they were even a thing. Circa what? Oh, 1857. Yeah. Yeah. And then... Uh, up to about 1884. But the blight, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Pierce's disease in 1883. Yeah. Wiped out the industry here. And so yep. all alcohol production pretty much left Southern California uh, and found its way other places. And not until the 60s and 70s and 80s did it start to really take off up in Napa. Uh, you know the history of that. And then mm-hmm. beer follows shortly nationally mm-hmm. in the 80s and 90s and 2000s to a degree. And But really the 2000s and, and 20. Tens and beyond belong to the growth of craft spirits in California in particular, but across the country as well. Yeah. Before we keep talking about kind of the history and, and kind of the format of your show, um, I want to talk about spirits specifically here in Orange County. Obviously, Blinking Out was kind of the first in the area, but we have others now. Some of those people have been who work for them been guests on the show before. Where do kind of spirits stand in Orange County? I mean, there's a massive, and there has been for several years, craft cocktail boom. I would argue some of the best bar programs in Southern California are located in Orange County. You have yep. amazing people, especially right up here in Santa Ana. What, what's the state of spirits in Orange County right now? Yeah, I think it's um, wide open for more of us to join the community. But right now we've got um, Drift Distillery down in San Clemente. Mm-hmm. We've got Surf City over in Huntington Beach. Um, uh, border to Orange County, we've got Portuguese Bend over in Long Beach. I, we kind of adopt them, I think. Um, and I know I'm missing somebody, maybe a left coast in there. And then there's at least one or two uh, projects that want to take off in Anaheim, just haven't got going yet. Yeah. Um, boy, I hope I'm not forgetting anybody. Uh, but that's that's everyone that that we've been this all kind of grew up together, especially the 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 drifts, uh, the drift and uh, Surf City crew. We all kind of came around within plus or minus, you know, that's a year of that same time frame. So we all kind of learn from each other. We watch each other. We talk to each other. They've all been here. I've been to all their locations. So that's a snapshot of Orange County. But like, you know, what is there? Three million people in Orange County? And there's essentially three or four distilleries within a quick drive. Yeah, even if we're forgetting somebody, and apologies if we are, because I'm drawing a blank right now too. Um, there's really you can count them on one hand, basically. Yeah, and yeah. it's bonkers. And how many breweries yeah. are there in Orange County? Four hundred or something? I, I don't have yeah. silly fingers, like that. Yeah. I don't. It's not that many, but it's it, it's a lot. No, it seems 40, like there's a new maybe one every forty. Day. I, I think yeah. I think it's yeah. forty. Uh, at least members that are members of the Orange County Brewers Association. Somewhere, Greg Nagel from OC Beer Blog is screaming Greg. at a speaker right now. Yeah, tell us how many. Are. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's so. Beer and spirits are different animals, yeah. and uh, you can't think of them the same. Uh, we in the spirits industry sometimes lament that we think that opening a brewery is akin to 
printing your own money compared to opening a distillery. That's not fair, but sometimes we, you know, we lay awake at night wondering, why are we doing spirits? It's so much easier to do beer. It's not true, but that's the feeling that we have sometimes. Um, but you can see in the numbers that there's, you know, you get a brewery, two breweries, three breweries, four breweries per town, and you get three or four distilleries for the entire county. So what I'm, what I, my point there is that we're nowhere close to saturation, nowhere yeah. close. Um, there's a lot of room to grow, but uh, it won't look, our growth won't look exactly like it did for beer or wine. Um, it won't be the same meteoric trajectory because uh, the way you consume spirits is different. Uh, the way people um, um, engage with spirits, I think, is a, is a different exp- experience than it is w- with beer. And so our, we'll, we'll never look exactly the same. There won't be as many distillers as there are breweries, but there's so much room left for that growth. What are some of the things that you think could come to Orange County, or I guess based on its history, come back to Orange County? You guys mentioned wine in Anaheim. I think collectively a lot of jaws hit the ground on that one. I know mine did. Yeah. What are some of the spirits or, or types of things that you could see coming to this area? The real easy one is brandy. Yeah. 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 Brandy um, for sure. And then maybe, maybe the growing of barley again. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. If there's, we could find the egg space for it. Yeah. For sure. Um, but, um, and this is one that we get asked about a lot here at the distillery is why don't you make a tequila? Well, mm. there's two answers to that. The first answer is that we're not allowed to make anything called tequila. Yeah. Um, only those in Mexico can make that. Um, but the other, uh, other, other answer is that we would love to make an agave spirit. Uh, that's something that we can do in, in here in the U.S. In, uh, and we could do that here in Orange County if we wanted to. Uh, we just haven't found a good source for it yet. Um, and then rum as well. The, now mm-hmm. there, there's rum that is made here. Uh, Drift makes some and, I, and Surf City does and I think even Portuguese Ben does. Um, but we'd like to make it from a California source of cane that came from California that was grown in California because our whole ethos is uh, all organic uh, raw materials that are grown in California. That's one of our, uh, uh, our, our main things. And so we're trying to find a, um, a, someone who can grow enough sugar cane that we can press it or have it pressed and then turn that into rum from, uh, from here, from California. So, you know, between brandy, agave and rum, that's three giant categories of booze and, and two, uh, at least two that are still massive growth, uh, uh, sectors, yeah. yeah, yeah, especially tequila or agave spirit. So uh, we ha- just no one's cracked that code yet completely. Yeah, I I, I want to come back to agave because I'm glad you brought it up, but I want to make sure that we touch on what you guys are doing with your show. Can you guys talk about the show a little bit? And basically, for anybody who's listening, who's uninitiated, kind of the format, the ethos behind it, and, and kind of what people can expect from an episode. Uh, so in a, in a regular episode, it'll um we'll we'll jump into a. Well, how are we doing today kind of thing. We'll, we'll have a little bit of, of uh, Jack John between us. Then we'll go into uh, introduction of the spirit, uh, the distillery. Uh, then we'll do a tasting. And then, of course, uh, there's a ceremonial pinning on the map of where it is in California. Um, it's very Carmen San Diego of you. I like it. Yes. Ooh, good yeah. reference. Yes. <laughs> and um, if we're, uh, we'll, we'll give notes. And then if we have a little bit extra time, we'll talk about a subject, be it water, grain, uh, something in the political sphere like um, uh, direct consumer shipping uh, or an update from whatever's going on out in the wild that yeah. is pert- that pertains to the community. I mean, we say history, mystery, and industry of, yeah. of booze in California. So it's any part of that. Early episodes had a lot of history yeah. in it, a lot of waxing, of po- poetic about grain and things like that, yeah. uh, and water here in California. Uh, but then the focus is, is shifting slightly to 
to featuring distillers, uh, people who are making these products in California. Because yeah. that's kind of that was sort of the the, the reason for us to exist, right? Was yeah. to focus on California spirits makers, what they're making here in California, why it's so cool to have um, you know these producers in our own state, and why it's important for people to know about them, support them, and support the regional spirits economy that we're developing here in California. We want to be the next you know you know the the next Napa essentially yeah. Of, yeah. Uh, of spirits, yeah. Of, for spirits. I mean, there is some differentiation because you guys do, you focus on California, but you're talking about products that are made in California. Yeah. You're not talking about brands that are based in California because there's plenty of those. I mean, yeah. for Dylan has an around. affectionate oh, term yeah. for that. I don't uh, know if you can say it or yeah. not. Yeah, we curse on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, you could curse all you uh, okay. want. Yeah, you're fine. So for, for those that source their spirit, which you, we understand you got a front load debt to, to do it like the Blink Gallows or anyone that does true grain to glass, you know, we real juice, fake shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we understand if you're if you're real wanting, juice fake shit. Yeah. I, I still I still like it. I still support it. But we have friends who who do source, and that sourcing is a completely legitimate. Let me it state is. for the record, completely legitimate way of of producing a, a quality yeah. spirit. Well, yeah, one but, of the tenets of the podcast <laughs> is to yeah I know is to really create more informed uh, drinkers. So label dissection, which is something that we uh, we teach on the podcast. Uh, what does uh, produced versus distilled mean? What does uh, ABV versus proof mean? Things like that. Yeah. And that way, when when Joe Blow was at High Times, yay High Times, um, looking at a label, they, oh, well, da, da, oh, well, okay. And they can figure it out for themselves on what's in the glass or what's going to be in their glass, respectively. It behooves a consumer to know how to read a wine label. Very much so. It behooves so. them to know how to read a beer label. But it, and it's especially true in spirits because you can learn a lot about the the brand based on certain keywords that are on the labels. And they're really important. Um, or what's not on the label. Or what's not on the label, yeah. yeah. And I don't mean that they're important to have certain words. What I mean is that it's important, we believe anyways, for the consumer to be educated enough to know what it is. Know what you're drinking. Yeah. Drink yeah. what you like. That's what we always say here at Blinking Owl. And I think Dylan and I feel the same way. Yeah. Drink if if fireballs your game, man. Go for it. Knock yourself out. Um, um, Which you will, and we, <laughs> yeah, will, and right? we all have done. Yeah. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and if and if uh, uh, burying your beautiful bourbon in Coke is your favorite way to do it, do it. You know we don't. Well, that's not what we're here to do. We're here to present. At least at Blinking Out, we're here to present you with yeah. this this product that we believe in, and then what you do with it after that is that's your thing. But we want. But our big thing is creating creating Cre- educated consumers. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're so proud of what's made here yeah. in the state. Uh, you, you and know. as we should be, I think, because we make some good shit. Yes, we do. I mean, yeah, yeah. to put a, a yeah. not too fine a point on it. Yeah, we do. I mean, look at uh, look at St. George. They're, by by the math, they are the youngest distillery in the state. And they're only from the 80s. Oldest. Yeah. Youngest? I say young. You said youngest. Uh, oldest. Oldest. There's there's uh, a couple. There's a couple it, out it, there. We're in Orange County. Age is a number. It's yes. Yeah, it's not a real thing. <laughs> They've been around a really long time. Uh, Osakalis has been making brandy for like 25 or 30. I don't even know. A That's long cool. time. But St. George is kind of considered to be the grandfather of spirits here in California. And they've been around. They've been doing it for, you know, most of my yeah. my lifetime. Um uh, and changing and evolving over those years. But but that's the very, very tip of the iceberg. And now it's funny. It must be strange for them, for the Lance Winders of the world who've been around doing this for th- the last 25, 30 years mm-hmm. to look at the community now. Um, even 10 years ago, there were you could probably like people that you knew of, you could count on one hand in the state. And then I, you know, we moved to I moved here seven years ago and 
uh, that doesn't even seem like that long ago now when I say it like that. But um, now we're looking at over 150 craft distillers. That's a certain kind of license that you can get in the state and 300 licensees of various types of rectifiers and producers, you know, various types of producers in the state, yeah. which only makes sense here in California. Every state does it differently. Um, so to, for him to be able to look at the industry and see wh- how it's changed over those 30 years must be, no one else has that viewpoint that, yeah. that, that they do up at St. George. Absolutely. Well, it's time for a little commercial. Yeah. If you listen to the best seats at all or read the content, then you know the motto, live well and often. But what does it mean? In layman's terms, it's trying to give you the best products, places, experiences, and more so you can put a big smile on your face every single day. Amass Botanics is what I use on my back bar constantly if I need a cocktail or a quick pick-me-up. Any of their other botanical products, like candles, hand sanitizer, and more, also helps to set the mood. Now, I'm a big fan of everything that Amass does. I have been since day one when they launched their trademark gin, and everything they've done since then has been nothing short of excellent. Now you can get your hands on their products at a discounted rate by going to amass.com and using the discount code, the best seats 15, that's C-E-A-T-S, at checkout. Now it's limited one per customer, so make sure you load up. But trust me, you can't go wrong with anything they're doing. I stand by Amass 100%. They're one of my go-to brands for spirits needs or anything around the house. So again, go to amass.com, that's A-M-A-S-S, and use the code thebestseats15 at checkout. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. I don't know about you, but 2020 had me re-looking at how I live and the space that I live in. Spending so much time at home really had me reevaluating how certain things worked and didn't in my living space. One of the main things, as an avid home cook and an obvious supporter of restaurants, was gardening. Anybody who enjoys food at all will be able to tell you that something you've grown yourself will taste infinitely better than anything you can buy at a store. That's where Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potager comes in. Heirloom Potager designs, installs, and maintains seasonal culinary gardens for chefs and foodies in Orange County. They provide organic gardening methods and bespoke build-outs used to preserve the heirloom varietals that they'll provide for seeds. An approachable and exciting endeavor, no matter if you're a seasoned restaurateur or a stay-at-home chef, owner Ashley Irene's experience, expertise, and enthusiasm is only matched by her professionalism. For more information on how you can set up a consultation to get your own culinary garden space set up, go to heirloompotager.com. That's heirloom, H-E-I-R-L-O-O-M, potager, P-O-T-A-G-E-R.com today. Once again, that's heirloompotager.com. Absolutely. You mentioned the sheer number of different kind of groups that are out here. I mean, I think the obvious question for people listening is, okay, so you're just talking about California spirits. Maybe there's not that many. I think people are going to hear that number and be very, very shocked. Over 150 craft distillers yeah. in the state today. And, the and it's, more, it's probably more than that coming. Oh, yeah. And the diversity of the product is incredible. Like what? Just last, earlier this week, we tasted a bourbon made from rice. Yeah. Whiskey made from rice. Sorry. Whiskey made from yes. rice. Yes. A fantastic spirit. Comes from Chico, California. It's fantastic. And we don't know if anybody else in the state is doing it, but that just goes to show that like we're doing interesting things here, things that people should know about. And that's kind yeah. of why we're doing this. Yeah. 
I love the fact that you guys want to educate drinkers and I'm also an advocate for kind of drink what you want, whatever your jam is, do that. But I do think there is something to be said for understanding the product a little bit better. I mean, it, it always, I always love when you, <clears throat> excuse me, you see the, you know, the well-off businessman who just came from golf and he has the credit card up in the air and you just goddamn know he's going to go Tito's soda. Sorry, Tito's. Um, you know, he's going to, you just know. And it's, it's, and not a knock against Tito's if that's your jam, like you said, drink it. But there's good shit out there, it's, and I don't know if people know about it. It's probably it. a badge of honor for them how much shit people give them, because oh, yeah. I do <laughs> a lot, a lot. Um, but I totally agree. Like, if that's your favorite thing, and my that's what's on the back bar of my, my brother-in-law's house, and I give him shit for it all the time, because I'm like, dude, I make stuff that I think is way better than that. Like, and yeah. you can have it anytime you want. Uh, but he still has the handle of Tito's there. Uh, so, so, but that's sort of the point. We have a lot of work to do of yelling from the mountaintops yep. about what's going on in California to let people know that man, you, there's variety, there's options, there are, there are, there's stuff out there that you need to explore. Yep. Now I, your views might be a little bit, and I don't want to say skewed in a bad way, but they might be a little bit biased. Obviously you're here at the distillery, you know, you know, Santa Ana and the history of Orange County, like the back of your hand, it seems like both of you do very well. Santa Ana has great cocktails around here. People really drink really, really good stuff. But speaking of Orange County as a whole, speaking locally, how do you think the kind of imbibing public does when it comes to consuming kind of craft or individual or, or kind of small batch stuff? I mean, I, I use the golf example, but I think there's equal parts that there's also equal parts people that go out for craft spirits and they, they kind of know what they're searching for. So I would say, like, uh, let's look at um, the bar program at Cellar in Fullerton. Fantastic. Yeah, great program. Yep. Um, there when i've been there there's always at least i want to say 60 40 split and who's going like small distiller versus big name uh big name just that they have more marketing power that's all it is and they're in this the the collective mind of the hive mind of of the community if you're going there you know your favorite drink is going to be like uh this girl i was used to, used to see she drank uh, jack jack honey that that stuff you know that that's that's that was always her thing i was very much scotch guy um, McAllen, stuff like that. Um, now you will catch me drinking 10th street, mm -hmm. uh, which is as close to scotch as you're going to get in California. Fantastic stuff. And, um, it, it, there's San Jose for those who want to look it up. Yes. There's enough nerdy hipsters out here that want to drink the small producers and that want to get to know the community of producers. Yeah. So that's that, I get, that's the, that's the force behind it, I guess, right? I think it's a, actually a pretty steep uphill battle. It is. Even though we live in a place where um, people have access to whatever they want and they can get these cool spirits from around the state or from us, uh, it's, still a, it's still, we've spent the last seven years uh, yelling our throats hoarse trying to get people to know that there's good stuff out there, not just our stuff, our stuff for sure, but there's other stuff. And um, it takes a long time, I think, and being very consistent and persistent about letting people know that these are, this stuff is out here. And we also know that spirits has a higher barrier to entry than beer does, or maybe yeah. even wine for that matter. Yeah. You can get like excellent wine for $14 a bottle and you can get really good beer that, well, you know, you can drop eight bucks on a beer and if you don't like it, it's not the end of the world. Um, and you move on to the next, but a, a really like a high quality craft, hand, uh, you know, small batch. You're talking 50 to $80. Yeah. Even if you get it in a cocktail, it has to be well balanced. Otherwise you're going to lose the nuances and the flavors. And even then the average is 13 and rightfully so the prices are increasing to cover costs and things yep. like that. Yep. So 
Yeah, I, I think you're right, and I think that's fair. There is a fear, kind of. It, people go with the consistent big brand names because they like them. Mm-hmm. Speaking to that, um, where do you guys stand on brands, you know, moving into that inevitable Diageo contract, you know, eventually joining the Armada? <laughs> Uh, you mean uh, making a bunch of money? Uh, I mean, if it means that that brand hopefully maintains its its culture and its and its ethos, and they just get more distribution, hell yeah, that's fantastic. They, they've 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 hit it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when you start to see quality dropping, and that that's when it that's when it hurts. Yeah, but when you ask yeah. that question, when I think about it, I think of. Um, we see a lot of people who want to put their name on a, a whiskey, for yeah. example, a brown spirit, uh, whether they're a celebrity or, or just, you know, an investment group that, that wants to have a, a brand out there. And that's, uh, it's certainly not an easy thing to do, but relative to opening your own distillery, um, it is incredibly easy. It is just slapping your name on a bottle, buying the juice from Indiana, uh, you know, from the big producers over there. And then marketing yourself as a regional or local product. Um, there's there are ways to do that legally, but is it the right thing to do? Um, is it does it make a lot of sense for you to be sort of a quote unquote Hollywood or LA brand? Oh. But you yeah. buy you know you, you have nothing. There's no production facility there. The juice comes from Indiana. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's quality juice. It's really good stuff. They've been making a lot of it for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but does the person who picks up that bottle know that? I mean, yeah. Do they have any idea that that's the, the where it came from? Yeah. Let's see. Which states uh, recently, in the last 10 years, have started making bottles? I think John Wayne did and the Humphrey Bogart did, right? And I think their stuff is all MGP, which is Indiana. Yeah. 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 It's still good stuff, but are, are you buying? Uh, you're buying the picture on the bottle, not necessarily the stuff in the bottle. So I, I talked about, sorry, real quick. I talked about this uh, when I had Paul Lecco from Few Spirits on the show several, several episodes ago. But for those that are listening that may have missed that episode or they're just kind of catching up, can you guys really quickly explain MGP? Because I think that's something, especially for whiskey fans, that they A, may not know about, and B, it's hilarious to watch their reactions when they do learn about it. Yeah. So MGP is Midwest Grain Products. They used to be called LDI, which was Lawrenceburg Distillers distillers or distillers inc or something like that Mm -hmm. and over the years they've been owned by seagrams and other large uh uh, company large international brands but what it what it boils down to is it's uh one of the largest producers of brown spirits anywhere in the world and they they have um they produce spirits for i don't know how many thousands of different brands so if you love a certain kind of whiskey on the shelf um that costs you know in the in the 20 17.99 to 20 $9.99 $9.99 price range, there's a good chance that your favorite brand is made in Southern Indiana mm-hmm. uh, at MGP. Um, there's plenty of spirits that aren't made there, but uh, uh, they've been making it for a long time and they make a quality product, but they, what they, their whole thing is to make uh, whiskey for other brands, not yeah. for themselves. So if you looked at a whiskey family tree, their branch is probably the biggest, one yeah. of the biggest. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. You were going to say something before that. And thank you for the explanation. I, I lost it. We'll get back to it. <laughs> um, well, I want to come back to something that we mentioned earlier, which is agave and specifically tequila. Um, I am planning on having tequila brands on the show in the future. I'm working on scheduling them. I'm a huge agave advocate myself. I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding about it, especially here in Orange County, the land of the margarita or spicy margarita depending on where you emotionally (laughs) fall um and i'm on team paloma if anybody's caring 
but especially with mezcal you're starting to see sotol hit menus things like that can you guys kind of give me your two cents on what's currently happening in the agave industry a little bit from where you because you you said it very eloquently very well you guys don't want to make a tequila because you can't make a tequila because those are the rules yeah. <laughs> it would have to be an agave spirit just kind of in, in name and texture but can you guys elaborate on that a little bit? Because we consume a lot of it here in Orange County, and I think a lot of people who are listening consume a lot of it. But there's a lot going on behind the scenes. Would you guys mind kind of touching on that a little bit from your expertise? If you want to go down the rabbit hole, and you and I think <laughs> and it's people a big sh- goddamn hole. Yeah, and people uh-huh. should a little bit. If you just start uh, do like some Google searches for what's going on with tequila right now um, with uh, a provenance and where is it coming from and what really is in the bottle that you're drinking. Yeah. It's um, it's a whole thing that, and I've only scratched the surface myself. Um, uh, but I think more so than in other spirits um, with the way the, the rules are in Mexico, there are ways to know, and, and I'm not the expert on this. So I, if you do have a, a good tequila person on, I want to know about that episode because they can explain how to read a, a tequila label. And it's important because they have their regulations on how, you know, what you can put in the bottle are slightly different than the way we do things in the U S and I'm not saying that I'm not, I'm not evaluating that or judging it. It's no, just, just they do it differently. Yeah. 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 Um, so when you buy a bottle of straight bourbon whiskey in the United States, it tells you a few things about it. You know that it is <clears throat> manufactured in the U S for sure, that it was, um, uh, made with at least 51% or more corn in the recipe. So you know that, um, if it says straight on the label, you know, that it is at least two years old. Every drop of, of booze in that bottle is at least two years old and, uh, that it was in, um, aged, matured in a, um, uh, charred, uh, oak cask. So you can tell a lot just by straight bourbon whiskey. Mm-hmm. You can tell a lot about it, but it, tequila, can come from a, well, not from a lot of different places, but only in Mexico. And, um, they can, there can be a certain amount of other things included in that. And that's, this is where we need the expert, but, um, uh, it's a little bit more complicated to know exactly what it is that you're getting in your, in your, in your glass of tequila than it is, for example, for uh, like a bourbon whiskey or something. Yeah. And I know where I can assume where you both are going to fall emotionally on this, but I want to get your two cents because one of the biggest things that we're seeing right now, and it, wonderfully blew up in everybody's face a little bit in a negative way when she announced hers, but obviously Kendall Jenner has just come out with a tequila. It's the av- the advent of the celebrity tequila. Obviously, the number one thing that everybody kind of goes to is Casamigos with George Clooney, Terramana with The Rock, et cetera, and um, whether or not you want to call one of those hand sanitizer versus tequila. Um, that's just where I stand. But uh, the advent of the celebrity spirit is not anything new, but it really has hit the agave industry fast from your perspective on that and obviously some of these people are based in california these again tequilas are not based on the nomination wasn't it interesting that they're all american you know americans with american brands but making a a spirit that is not manufactured in the united states now that that doesn't mean anything about it but it's just like it's kind of a weird funny ism about it It, it, i i honestly believe in the case of these celebrity uh tequilas or agave spirits the slippers are just the 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 key that opens the lock, opens the door to get people to buy. Yeah, everyone loves the Rock. If you don't like the Rock, <laughs> it's I mean, very, it's hard to hate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Jungle Cruise, come on. But um, <laughs> uh, when it comes to anything like with with with, with well, I, guess, I guess the advent. Of, I mean, to be a celebrity is a purely California thing, anyway, right? Yeah. I mean, birthplace of Hollywood, birthplace of film. And even the the history of film is really really fraught with all kinds of fraud. So 
we'll get into that in another episode though <laughs> Yeah, that's a long, deep, dark, yep. legally binding NDA-filled uh-huh. rabbit hole. Yeah, 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 we won't, we won't. Yeah, I said <laughs> no, nothing. No, 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 I know no, no. nothing. No, this, 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 is for, the, this is for a podcast. Different podcast. Part of the issue with the the, the big brands like that, blow, those three that you mentioned blowing up, is that they're putting um, in an inordinate amount of stress on the agave um, industry in in Mexico, and yeah. so that's that is then in turn creating these situations where manufacturers are having to find ways to. Um, augment, add to, or create a spirit that is affordable because there's so much, um, so much tequila is being consumed right now. Yeah. Not just here; it's all over the world. Tequila is, you know, is is one of the fastest growing spirits, um, and, and so it's putting this really heavy strain on the agave industry in Mexico. And it, I don't know that at this pace it's sustainable. Can yeah. can they make good, you know, maybe single origin or or quality known origin? product indefinitely in this in at this speed no i think the answer is no that's not even talking about climate change and what that's doing to the agave industry because agave takes um, a lot longer to mature than say corn or you you get corn or wheat or rye to make um, most american whiskeys in in one season one growing season but with agave you have many many years invested and to get the plants ready ready to be harvested well i'm glad that you kind of mentioned uh, celebrities being kind of a, a uniquely California thing with Hollywood, you know, 45 minutes north or seven days, depending on if there's traffic. Yeah. Um, the advent of celebrity brands is not anything new. Obviously, when, you know, Diddy had Ciroc years ago. I think Jay-Z, I mean, multiple people have done this. Yeah. It's not anything new. When are we going to see, if ever, a celebrity craft? I I mean, the closest you came was, um, was uh, oh, God, uh, Deadpool with aviation. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's close as uh, that's it. Uh, um, God bless Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, thank you, yeah. Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> um, so every it, yeah. I have a running joke. Every time that um, it the, that gin is distributed through a particular distri- distribution company here yep. in Southern California, uh-huh. and whenever the truck shows up to pick up our products, because we're with the same distribution company, his mug is plastered on the side of it. So I like to take pictures and then like you know draw devil's horns on his face or something <laughs> like that. I, I was like, we look, dude, we have a gin. I don't need you here to pick up my gin to take it with your gin. Uh, we make our own gin. Um, it's damn good gin. Yeah, yeah it's delicious. <laughs> so you know they started out relatively small, but they're now been, they've been bought. Yeah, and mm-hmm. they're you know I'm sure he made a, a boatload, which is great, um, and it helps craft industry you know have they graduated beyond craft mm, you know craft is in the eye of the beholder i think really um so that's kind of a moot conversation but does it did it change aviation i don't know the answer i i i, I drink my gin um uh so i don't know if it's changed it but that i think that's what dylan you were kind of alluding yeah. to if it changes the product then it's probably a negative but if you're just making more money that's not a bad thing. No one's going to hold that against you. I mean, the, the narrative is like in the hospitality industry, if you get bought out, usually it means all the staff is going to get fired. They're going to bring in new people and the quality is going to drop drastically within the next six months. Which we've they, seen in beer a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that's the narrative across pretty much all corporatism and, and commercial enterprise, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, but the goal before is to we get bought, but, but, but before we get too far away from oh, this, yeah. we are a celebrity brand. Yeah, we, we have Kirsten Vangsness, who is uh, plays Penelope Garcia on CSI mm-hmm. on TV. CSI. Criminal, Criminal Minds. Minds. Oh my Criminal God, Minds. I said it. Criminal I, Minds. I said the wrong thing. Oh my God. Her eyebrow horrible. just twitched somewhere. I know. Yeah. It. I felt <laughs> yep. it. She had a heart. I'm, I'm glad that you kind of came back full circle because that's yeah. kind of where I was leading to. Um, so I think we can kind of put the the celebrity debate to bed a little bit, but I want to come back to something that you guys mentioned early on about your show, and you mentioned that you touch on it slightly, and unfortunately, I think nowadays there's no way not to touch on it, is 
politics. I don't think a lot of people assume that liquor and politics are integrated that well, aside from politicians drinking liquor, you know, early in the morning, the old days in San Francisco at stars and things like that. How are politics and, and kind of spirits intertwined? Can you guys elaborate on that a little bit? Oof. Well, a deep well, a flowing river. Yeah, we're touching uh, on really, really however, light yeah. topics. Yep. Yeah, however yeah, you want yeah. to talk about it, it takes up most of my bandwidth when yeah. I'm not thinking about stuff here. I mean, just in in Orange County, the anti <laughs> the anti liquor lobby is a, is very very strong. Yeah, and they've been that way since the beginning. Um, and as we've seen, yeah, they they uh, the local powers that be have no problem. Uh, taking a ruler and beating the living shit out of someone's knuckles. Um, uh, at the state level, it, it's, I mean, it's, well, it's more than just the, the politics surrounding the spirit in the bottle. It's surrounding the uh, raw materials that go into the bottle, which Ryan can talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Will you elaborate a little bit for people that may not know if they're unfamiliar with Blinking Owl? First of all, shame on you. But secondly, if, uh, you guys went through obviously trials and tribulations with regulations regarding what you could do, couldn't do, et cetera. Can you kind of give a quick summary of that and then yeah. also your own kind of thoughts on the matter? Yeah. Well, we had the whiskey rebellion there for a little while and uh, we stole the flag and, and created our own, our own little thing. And, and it all comes down to the way um, that every state has unique laws when it comes to beverage alcohol. And um, so when you, if you're a national brand, you have to have 50 different portfolios on how you're going to interact with consumers in 50 different states. Um, now they're all basically similar, but there's uniqueness to each one of them. Here in California, we have uh, different license structures that offer different privileges um, depending on which license you apply for. So when we started, when Brian and Robin started the distillery um, in 20, uh, the, the idea in 2013, the distillery in 2016 opened, um, we were uh, what was at that time considered to be a, a type uh, uh, six. 70, well, no, no right. not yet, not yet. A type uh, four. Uh, I couldn't spit that out. Uh, a type four um, beverage alcohol manufacturer distiller. And what that allowed us to do was to, to make alcohol. Uh, and then the government then taxes you based on what you make. Um, but it did not include privileges like, uh, paid tastings or the ability to sell a bottle to somebody. Uh, all you could do is manufacture it and then ship it off to a wholesaler who would then ship it off to a retailer. And I've just outlined the, what's called, uh, commonly called the three tier system. Yeah. Producers, manufacturers, wholesalers, distributors in the middle, and then retailers at the end. Um, that structure was established after prohibition, essentially to break uh, monopolies across the country that like Anheuser-Busch had because they could be the producer, the wholesaler and the distributor. And it was creating lots of issues where a community was basically owned by Anheuser and there's yeah. no other way to get, and there's no other beer there. Um, so good intent 75 years ago. Uh, the three-tier system today has been poked full of so many holes, the dam is nearly ready to burst. Um, so one of the ways that here in California, we, and it, what I, we say we, I say we loosely because I didn't get involved yet in the, the state guild, um, but the, uh, some founders of the state guild, the California Artisanal Distillers Association, uh, came up with the idea to create the craft distillers license. So since 2012, they had been working on that, but it hadn't been enacted until the year after we opened. Uh, when it did uh, come into place, the Blinking Owl switched from a Type 4 to a Type 74, which was a, from a manufacturer to a craft distiller. 
And um, that uh, creating that license type allowed us to then uh, sell retail bottles. So you see what happened there. We, we are a manufacturer and we just skipped over the middle tier, the yeah. wholesaler, and were sold a bottle to a customer. That's something that had never happened in California before, unless you made brandy because brandy is made from grapes and grapes are part of the wine industry and they already had that ability, but they've been lobbying for mm-hmm. 30 years plus with millions of dollars doing that. Our industry is just now getting onto that bandwagon. So it's a long, long process um, of changing the laws to match not just common sense, but also where the consumer is. Yeah. So the current thing, um, that's sort of, it's sort of levels of graduation, but the current thing is direct to consumer shipping. That's something that we're working really hard on, uh, not just here in the state, but across the country as well, where um, you can then ship uh, your spirit to a consumer. So if you go to Temecula, Paso, Napa, Sonoma, wherever, as a tourist, let's say you fly, I'm from Indiana. You fly out from Indiana for vacation, you go to Napa, you drink a wine that you love, you, you taste it. You don't have, you don't want to put six bottles of that or 12 bottles of that in, in your luggage. Maybe you try. Um, you are allowed to, in many cases, ship, have, buy it there and have them ship it to your home. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of common practice in the wine industry. Yeah. Um, illegal in the spirits industry. So we're working on parity evening out that playing field, meeting consumers where they're at, um, which is they want to be able to, we live in a time now where, and especially after, you know, after and during COVID, you lived and died by what you could have delivered to your home. Absolutely. Um, And so, and the direct consumer shipping movement is a response to that where consumers expect the ability to be able to go online to blinkingl.com, go to the shop button and pick what they want and have it shipped to them. It makes logical sense to the consumer, I think anyways. And we, th- we when we talk to our consumers, they think, I think they think, think the same. I don't think there's anybody that would disagree with that. Right. But the laws prohibit it. So, and this is, I'm glad you brought up um, the thing that we can't all goddamn escape, which is COVID. There wasn't a lot of, there again, there was a lot of bad that came from 2020. It was an ass kicking of a year and a lot of people are still black and blue from it. Was that, did it bring any benefits to highlighting that struggle of needing to push direct to consumer shipping? Was that a benefit for you guys? You could call it a benefit. It's a silver lining. I think what it really did is it was a bit of a time machine. It yeah. uh, moved us forward faster than we thought we were going to. Direct consumer shipping, self distribution, changing the amount of product that consumers can buy at a, at a distillery. All these things are things we've been working on for a long time. But um, what COVID did for that particular issue was accelerate the the window really, really rapidly by like maybe five years or something like that, where it brought it from a, this is a big picture thing that we know we want to chip away at and work to eventually. And it brought it front and center, right up to our doorstep, because that was how people were now engaging with brands. They just want to be able to get it. And I don't care if it's made in New York, Florida, Pennsylvania, Indiana, or California, just ship it to my house. That's where I, I, I want to support that brand. And I want that product. Why in the world can I buy a wine that way, but I can't buy spirits that way? Yeah, I want that. Give it it's, to me. It's please. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. if you're, it's not, it's just it's alcohol. So you know, alcohol is alcohol is alcohol, and you can get rip roaring drunk on a bottle of wine, or on a case of beer, or on a bottle of booze. Now, there's folks out there, and you were kind of hinting at this, Dylan, with um, 
some of the opposition, you know, that booze is bad. Uh, there's a lot that we have to do to overcome the hurdle of the negative connotations around spirits yeah. as hard, quote unquote, I'm doing the air quotes thing right now, alcohol. Um, we don't really believe in that. It's, it's alcohol. It's ethanol. It's the same chemical substance. Yeah. I'm, whether, I'm, however I'm very you glad you it. said that because I've never liked that term hard alcohol. I, I, I grew up saying it. And then the more that I started educating, I've never been a fan of that. Yeah. Because it like has a negative connotation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we, I say all kinds of things. I say juice, hooch, mm-hmm. booze, spirit, whatever as a, applicable to for the moment. But I don't say that because I think it's a misnomer. I think it leads you down a negative, a, a, a bad path and not just, not just a negative one, but an inaccurate one. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, I can get just as drunk on any three of those types of spirit and it doesn't really matter. And I can, my body can only consume so much of the alcohol, no matter what, and it doesn't matter in what the concentration is. I think there's the argument to be said, well, well, what if you bought the bottle and just started chugging it? You know, you can't do that with a bottle of wine. I would argue that you can, first of all, but Mike, if I started I've chugging done it, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but I mean, have you ever heard of shotgunning a beer? Um, but if I took a bottle of our whiskey and just started chugging, like at some point my body would reject that. Like yeah. I, I can't do that. So it's a total misnomer. It's a red herring. It takes you down a path that doesn't make any logical sense. Booze is booze. Spirit is spirit. Alcohol is alcohol. And we're just looking for parody in this space because it, it's common sense. Um, it's common sense. Yeah. That's what consumers want. While highlighting all the great booze, not hard alcohol, hooch yeah. and whatever else yep. that California can make. Well, gentlemen, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Obviously, Blinking Out will be opening soon. Yep. Uh, you guys are gracious enough to kind of host and, and let us let me kind of set up shop here. Um, and no doubt that you guys have more shows to prepare for, write, et cetera, and film, because that's an ambitious thing that, that I'm not doing yet, but maybe one day. And I'm and kudos to you for doing that. Um, if people want to find the show, if they want to find you, social media, the channels, et cetera, where can folks do that at? Uh, that'll be Distilled California on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest. Spotify. Spotify. Uh, Apple a- Apple Podcasts and then my personal is uh, the gentleman historian on Instagram YouTube and oh and, oh yeah you uh, well, yeah, of course so you guys YouTube. do audio and video oh, yeah yep you can yeah. watch it you can listen to it whatever is your jam yeah yep and I'm, if I'm you want to see my ugly mug he's more prettier than me I I am just the uh, the comedic relief <laughs> don't look honestly. me up just <laughs> just look up the podcast you'll find us <laughs> and definitely blinking owl also and what is yeah. blinking owl's social channels if people want to find the booze and and get a hold of it yeah we're just look up blinking owl distillery and you'll find us we're the first thing that comes up and we're all on all of the platforms and uh, we definitely hope people can come out to santa Ana, orange county and check out the new restaurant that we've got going the yeah. food program is incredible yeah the smells are starting to get offensively yep, the delicious fired up yeah yep and uh everything is paired to work with the booze that we that we make so it's uh, you know the whiskey goes with the the wings and uh yeah. so on and so forth that's awesome well guys i really 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 appreciate the time uh you're out there doing god's work keep educating and, and keep spreading the good word of of craft california spirits thank you sir thank you sir. thank you guys Thank you so much to Dylan and Ryan for taking the time to sit down. Um, Definitely give Distilled California a look wherever you are listening to podcasts, depending on where you're listening to this podcast. Go give it a search. Um, I don't 100% remember what platforms. I I know that they're on a bunch of them. They're adding more of them just like this one. So wherever you're listening to it, definitely go check them out. Um, It's really, really, really fun 
to have people like that in your backyard explaining the history of your backyard. So please go support them just like you do this show. They are really, really good people. You can also check out their live lecture series, which they do. They announce it on their social media. Again, all those links are in the show notes. So click on through and check those out. Thank you to everybody that supports over on patreon.com. You make this possible. There are some major, major announcements about upcoming content launching there the day that this goes live for patrons. So depending on when you're listening to it, again, that's October 19th. You could be listening to it two days from now, two months from now. I don't know, but definitely check that out. There's going to be a lot more stuff coming exclusively to Patreon, even with regards to the podcast, working on a post show exclusive, the ability to submit questions and more. So thank you to everybody that does support there. Thank you to the advertisers. And thank you to you. If you're listening on free feeds, check out thebestseats.com for more. I will see you soon. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. It's based in Orange County, California. It is subsidized through generous monthly donations at patreon.com forward slash the best seats. The following are the names of those who subscribed at the highest monthly tier, aka norm status, and allow me to continue producing this show each and every month. As a thank you for their continued support, here are the names. Cheryl McCarthy, Serena Warino, George Pavlov, Eric Lutz, Pizza Guy 92, Loco Lipo, Tim Falk, Burrito No Rito, Jay Baker, Sarah Hines. Thank you for your support.